I don't know if this has happened to you before, but the other day I noticed that my cell phone battery was dying much more quickly than it had been in the past. Uh, you can imagine that I'm on my phone a lot, so like many of you, I have not just the battery that comes with the cell phone, but I also have that case that also has a battery. So I should have like double the life of my cell phone battery, but I'm draining it on a pretty consistent basis right now. Of course, what's even more remarkable is that my battery started dying shortly after paying off my phone. That's what they call planned obsolescence. And while it makes us frustrated with Apple, it is at the heart of Hebrews chapter 8. Part of God's plan for how he would save his people, and if you really want to understand Scripture itself, you need to understand how God planned to move from one covenant to another covenant. And that's what chapter 8 is all about. God had planned all along that the Mosaic covenant would be a temporary and typological system. Do you understand both of those words? Temporary, something for a particular discrete amount of time. Typological, what we read here in the first five verses, pointing forward to something else, a copy of a reality. It would be a temporary and typological system to prepare Israel for the coming of Jesus Christ, their Messiah. Even before the Mosaic Covenant concluded, through the prophet Jeremiah, who he, is, who he is quoting, who the preacher is quoting here in chapter 8, God tells Israel to expect something different. So this should not have been a surprise to them. This morning we're going to look at what is different. We're going to look at this new covenant, this better covenant, as our preacher puts it here in Hebrews chapter 8. Now, as we begin, I want to make sure that you really understand the two things that are being contrasted and compared. Let me ask you a question. Be honest. You don't have to raise your hand, but at least be honest in your own mind, okay? As I read through chapter 8, and I read about the old covenant, the first covenant, something that's going to be replacing it, the new covenant, how many of you in your own minds thought, well, that was probably the Old Testament, and then what's coming is the New Testament? Did you compare and contrast Old Testament and New Testament? Don't do that, okay? Because within the Old Testament, you have a particular covenant called the Mosaic Covenant. Look at verse 9. In verse 9, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says that he's going to create a covenant not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. You know that story. You know the story of God leading Israel out of captivity in, in, in Egypt. The story that has Moses as the head. That's the covenant that is going away and the covenant that is going to be replacing it is what Jeremiah calls the new covenant. This is the same covenant that Jesus refers to in Luke chapter 22, 20. When we say these words almost every Sunday at the table, this cup is the 
new covenant in my blood. It's the new reality that is coming into being through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The contrast is not between Old Testament and New Testament. The contrast is between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant. Let me do a little bit of Bible nerd trivia with you, okay? Some of you are thinking, okay, a discrete moment in time, the Mosaic Covenant. Well, there's other things that are going on in the Old Testament, right? What about Abraham? Is Abraham also being compared and contrasted here? Are are we moving on from Abraham? What's his relationship to the new covenant? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul tells us that the law, the Mosaic covenant, doesn't nullify a previously ratified covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is still in place. And in fact, most biblical scholars that come from our tradition say that the new covenant is essentially fulfilling the promises that God made to Abraham. How are all of those things going to come true? How is Abraham going to become the father and a blessing of many nations? How is the seed of Abraham going to come about? Well, all of that comes about through the new covenant. In fact, the relationship between the work of Jesus and the covenant that God made with Abraham is so strong that in the New Testament, believers are called the offspring of Abraham in three different places, Galatians 3, Hebrews 2, and Romans 4. So again, I really want to ensure that you understand what is being compared and contrasted. This is not Old Testament versus New Testament. This is not the entirety of God's dealing with his people in the Old Testament versus a new way of his dealing with us in the New Testament. This is a narrow slice of the Old Testament, the Mosaic Covenant that had a particular purpose that is now going away in his his language. Verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Part of the reason that we think that this letter is written before AD 70, before Rome toppled the temple in Jerusalem, is because he's referring back to things that are still there. He's not saying it has already vanished away. He's not saying, and look what the Roman Empire did to your precious temple. He's saying don't go back to that, that reality that you can see that is tempting you back. That's what's being compared and contrasted here. This morning, I want you to look and see what is being compared and contrasted. Most of the first five verses of this chapter are repeated in chapter 9. And so next week when we tackle chapter 9, we're going to talk about how the mosaic system, how the temple and the sacrifices pointed forward to something else, to something real that Jesus did. This morning I want to focus on this prophecy from Jeremiah that distinguishes between the mosaic covenant and the new covenant. And then I want to show you why that matters for you. 
Because this isn't just a history lesson. This isn't just something that you can file away as your Bible trivia of the day. This is something that matters to you if you are in Jesus Christ. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you need to understand this. Maybe you don't have faith in Christ. Maybe you are outside of the church. Maybe you don't even know what you believe. At some level, you are worshiping someone. At some level, you are functioning under a covenant. I hope by the end of this morning, you can see that the new covenant that God gives us in Jesus Christ is far superior than anything that you are trying to serve right now. Let's look at some of the differences between the old covenant and the first covenant. Let's start at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Where was the law written under the Mosaic Covenant? On big tablets of stone, right? That's what Moses brought down with him from Mount Sinai, where, the, where you have the summary of God's moral law. Those ten commandments ended up being extrapolated into hundreds of commandments that governed Israel's life. But those commandments that are written on stone, that was a glorious revelation from God. How kind of God to condescend to his people, to tell them what his rules were. But in the new covenant, God tells us through the prophet Jeremiah that in the new covenant, God's law is going to be in our minds and written on our hearts. Don't misunderstand this. This doesn't mean that the law functions as a sort of conscience now that you have. Whereas before, maybe you didn't know God's law, and now you do know God's law, so when you do something wrong, bam, your conscience accuses you. That's not what he means. If something is written on your heart, it means that God is at work renewing you from the inside out. Let me ask you this. Do you struggle with what seems to be a lifelong, life-dominating sin? Something that you're, just, you're not sure it's ever going to go away. That you're ever going to be able to shake it. Friends, hold on to this promise. God's law is written on your hearts. That's his promise that he is going to make you fit for his presence. He has not left you. His law is written on your heart. And then go on and read the rest of verse 10. That ancient promise that was first made to Abraham, that I will be your God and you will be my people, God has inscribed his own character on your heart. He will not fail to bring you to completion. Another difference, verse 11. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Friends, this doesn't mean that my job is obsolete, okay? This doesn't mean that you don't need teachers anymore. As if we didn't need mature men and women to come alongside of us to lead us more deeply into the things of God. No, this refers to the access to revelation. 
The revelation of God is available to all of us now. If somebody in the Mosaic Covenant wanted to know what God thought, what God said, they'd have to go to a priest or they'd have to wait for a prophet to arise. Now today, that special revelation is no longer the possession of priests and prophets. We can all know the Lord's will. We can all know God's purposes. But even more importantly, I think this is referring not just to intellectual knowledge, this is referring to experiential knowledge. The experiential knowledge of God. How many of you are familiar with J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God? That's an old book now. But part of the idea, even behind his title, is that knowing God isn't just knowing a bunch of facts about God, it's having a personal experience and knowledge of the living God. It's at the very heart of what Christianity is about, and this new covenant realizes it in a way that it was never realized under the old covenant. This knowledge, he goes on to say, it fills everyone in the church from the least to the greatest. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. Some of you are four, five, six, seven. You come and you talk to the elders. You make professions of faith. You tell us what you believe about Jesus Christ so that you can come and begin taking communion. I've had men and women in my office who are in their 60s and 70s and 80s, from the oldest to the youngest, from the least to the greatest. doesn't matter who you are, God wants you to know that you can know him in this way, and you can know God in this way. The third difference is summarized for us in verse 12, but before I get to verse 12, I need to back up. We need to go back to verses 8 and 9. So look with me again at verses 8 and 9. Verse 8, he says, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. What fault did God find in Israel under the Mosaic Covenant? How did they not continue in the covenant? They broke it right away, didn't they? They broke it while Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting the covenant. It was while Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting those tablets of stone that his brother Aaron led Israel into the worship of the golden calves. And then throughout their wilderness wanderings, over and over, they grumbled against God. They failed to obey God's commands. Judges, you get to the book of Judges, after Israel is finally in the land, they finally have possession of what God has promised them, and it's just one long, sad record of all the ways that Israel broke God's laws. Keep moving on, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, nearly every king breaks, breaks God's law. The prophets all condemn Israel for breaking God's covenant. 
Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, God says, like Adam, Israel has broken my covenant. See, like Adam, Israel had a responsibility to obey God. And if they obeyed, they would get blessings. They would be able to stay in this beautiful promised land. Remember what God told them as they were on their way in. You're going to live in houses that you didn't even build. You're going to take fruit from vines that you didn't even plant. I'm going to provide for you. This land was a picture of heaven. This is a picture of what we all long for. It's a picture of God's final resting place where we are safe. Folks, do you recognize, do you understand that the point of God's work in the world was never a few square miles of Mediterranean coastland? The point is a new heavens and a new earth. And the land of Israel, the promised land, pointed forward to that land with a king who would never die and not with a temple anymore because God would be in the midst. That's what the Mosaic Covenant pointed forward to. But if they disobeyed, like Adam, then like Adam, they would be exiled. And that's exactly what happened. When King Nebuchadnezzar came marching into Jerusalem, carrying them off into their exile. The Mosaic Covenant depended on Israel's obedience. God was faithful to them. God forgave them of their sins. Their salvation always pointed forward to Jesus Christ, faith in this one to come. But the blessings of the covenant depended on their obedience. They would get the blessings if they obeyed, but they would get curses if they disobeyed. And that's the difference with the new covenant. Look at verse 12. I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Instead of merely putting some temporary distance between us and the judgment of God, the new covenant that is merited for us through the work of Jesus finally and completely puts away sin. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to sin under the new covenant. We're not sinless. Notice that we still have iniquities. But God promises mercy and forgetfulness. Mercy and forgetfulness. I will remember their sins no more. Guys, I don't understand that. I don't understand that because that's all I can think about. All I can think about, the things that keep me up at night and make me wonder why my wife is mad at me or why my kids are mad at me, it's my sin. My sins haunt me. And I know they haunt some of you. You don't think you'll ever be free from the memory of what you did, of what you said, of how you acted, of what you thought, the consequences that followed. But God says he won't even remember them. And that is a huge difference between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant. Under the Mosaic Covenant, God constantly reminded Israel of their sins. 
The prophets continually referred back to their patterns of unfaithfulness and disobedience. But in Christ, He separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103 says. He casts them into the depths of the sea, Micah 7 says. He will remember our sins no more. Is that your reality? Is that your reality? Is this the covenant that you live under? Is Jesus your high priest? All of us are born into a covenant. All of us are born into the covenant of works. A covenant that Adam broke. A covenant that we break every day in thought, word, and deed. But if you are in Jesus Christ, you now live under this new covenant with better promises that are spelled out here in Hebrews 8. So why? Friends, help me understand this. If we could figure this out, we could sell millions of books. We could pack out arenas with people who would pay good money to figure out this secret. Why? Even though we have all of these blessings enumerated for us here in Hebrews chapter 8, Why aren't we satisfied? Why do we long for that next thing down the hallway? That's the whole point of this book. Go back to verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Don't you love it when a preacher does that? Here's the thing you have to remember. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Jesus is the high priest that we need. Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant that changes the way that we relate to God. Our problem is that we alternate between not believing it and believing it. Or acting as if we don't believe it. And then acting as if we do believe it. Like this ancient congregation, we are tempted to find a different system. We're tempted to find a different way of living or believing. A different way to make us feel at peace. We're always on the lookout for a different priest. So don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. Don't leave this behind for something that you think might be better. Something that you think might be more important. Something that might be more relevant to your life. Jesus is our hope when all the world seems dim. When your own sin and struggles seem to gain strength. When doubt and apathy set in. We're going to sing it in just a minute. The time of tide, or the tide of time, shall never his covenant remove. His name shall stand forever. And that name to us, to you, and to me, is love. Let's pray. Father, help us to see the beauty, the importance the life-changing reality of this new covenant. 
And Father, fix us, secure us in that hope so that even when we do cast our eyes around for something that we think might be better, we can see it clearly for what it is, just types, just shadows of the reality that is in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen.